Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. We are beginning today a study that's going to take us all the way up to Thanksgiving. We're going through the book of Acts, and our children over in our children's ministry are going through the book of Acts together, so it's going to be some great conversations you can have uh, with your kids. But let me just lay some ground rules out and kind of just talk a little bit about uh, some background for what we're about to do. The book of Acts really takes place as far as setting uh, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is a 40-day, this is important, a 40-day period where Jesus appears to his disciples. And then he ascends, at the end of that 40-day period, he ascends into heaven. And Luke is the writer. Now, you might say, who was Luke? Luke uh, was a first-century follower of Christ who was a physician. He was most likely the Apostle Paul's uh, physician. He traveled with Paul. Luke, a, a very brilliant man who uh, sets out to investigate all the claims of Jesus Christ. He writes one of the four Gospels, and he wasn't an eyewitness to these events, but he interviews eyewitnesses to get his account. And then Luke writes uh, the book of Acts, which picks up and covers a 30-year period from the ascension of Jesus into heaven to the establishment of the first church. This church unleashed. He begins with 120 followers in Jerusalem gathered together, and they have one marching order, stay put. The last thing Jesus told them before he ascends into heaven is don't do anything, go anywhere, stay where you are until the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so they wait these 10 days we're going to see before uh, that happens. But you have 120 followers. They weren't well financed at all. They weren't well educated. They didn't have political power in any way, shape, fashion, or form. They had nothing to gain by advancing this movement of Christianity, and they had everything to lose. But yet, at the end of the first century, the church of Jesus Christ had spread throughout the entire Roman Empire. How did that happen? We're going to see the starting point of that today, that the church was unleashed. And I, and I hope a couple things through the study of the book of Acts over the course of the next several weeks that, number one, you'd have a greater awareness of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, I, I know uh, as uh, Baptists, some of you are like, I didn't know we were Baptists. Well, there's some things we love about being a Baptist and some things that we kind of mute just a little bit. Um, Baptists traditionally have just missed it as it relates to the Holy Spirit. We've been freaked out, and we, didn't fully, we, we don't fully understand the Holy Spirit. So I hope we're going to have a greater understanding of the power of the Holy Spirit in our, in our, in our own lives. I hope I, I'm sure I offended multiple people by saying that. Oh, sorry. Number two, I hope you will grow in your love for the church. Because as the church, it is this instrument that God has created to bring himself glory and to share and spread the message of hope and the gospel to the nation. So I hope that happens over the course of the next several weeks. Now, if you have your Bible, and man, I hope you do. If not, on your smartphone, on your tablet, let's look at the book of Acts, and let's, let's begin in Acts chapter 2. We're uh, skipping ahead in Acts chapter 1. We have uh, Jesus finishing out these 40 days. He's appearing to his disciples, telling them to stay put. And then in Acts chapter 1, Jesus literally ascending, and the disciples watch. He ascends 
ascends into heaven. And then we pick up in Acts chapter 2. And if you got a seatbelt, you better go ahead and buckle up because this is an amazing chapter, powerful, powerful chapter in Acts chapter 2. There's a lot, a lot of truth here. Let's, let's go ahead and jump in. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, Acts chapter 2 verse 1, they were all together in one place. Now let's go back and, and define a couple terms here. When the day of Pentecost came, some of you are like, well, I don't, I don't care about that. Just tell me three things are going to help me in my life. You, you need to know this. What was Pentecost? Pentecost was the, the second biggest Jewish holiday, second biggest Jewish festival. The first was Passover. Now, some of you who graduated from Sunday school, do you remember what Passover was? Passover, the Jews celebrated Passover when they were in captivity in, in Egypt. And Moses is this leader who's leading them out of captivity, and they have 10 plagues that come God sends upon Pharaoh. Can you nod? Do you remember that? And the final was the, the angel of death, and every firstborn in all of Egypt was killed unless they had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. The children of Israel put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, and the angel of death did what? Passed over. And so for centuries, the Jews would come to Jerusalem and celebrate and worship and thank God for Passover. Now, what's interesting is Jesus was crucified over Passover weekend. Is that significant? Yes, it is. Why is that significant? Because Jesus is the long-awaited Passover lamb, that if you would trust him, if you would apply his blood by faith to your life, then we could be free from sin and death. That's significant, isn't it? Now, Pentecost, here we go, penta meaning five, Pentecost was 50 days after Passover. So Jews would return again to celebrate Pentecost. Now, what were they celebrating? For, for, for Pentecost, when they would arrive 50 days after Passover, they were celebrating the first fruits of the wheat harvest, uh, that God had given them a land and the land was producing. And so as a way to show that God owned it all and a way to show their thankfulness and their worship to God, they would bring the first fruits, that first 10%, and they would bring it and they would worship God at Pentecost. Pentecost also was a time to celebrate God giving them the law when God gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. You guys still with me? This is important. You can't miss it. They celebrated that, all right? So this is going to, we're going to see what is about to happen, why God chose to do what he did on Pentecost and the significance of that. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Again, this 120 disciples in Jerusalem in the same place where Jesus was arrested and crucified. They're huddled up. They had been with him for 40 days after Passover weekend, 40 days. He ascends into heaven. For 10 days, they are waiting. And then on the 10th day at Pentecost, here it comes. It happens on Pentecost. Look what happens in verse 2. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. What, what, what happened at Pentecost? God sent the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity comes upon the believers at Pentecost. This is a holiday like Christmas when God's son came to planet earth in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. We celebrate that, but it was at Pentecost that God sends the Holy Spirit. And what did they say? It was a sound like this, this violent wind. And, and what is that really saying? It's saying that when the Holy Spirit came, power came upon the believers. This isn't meant to be weird. This isn't meant to freak you out and be scary. This is meant to liberate you. I never will forget when the, when the Good Friday uh, tornado came through Murphy came right through our neighborhood. And I've told this story multiple times. I'm in my, I'm in my bedroom and I'm looking out the window and I've never heard a sound like that before. 
And I've never, it, it, it felt like our house was just going to be lifted up and, and moved. And, and some houses that did happen. Uh, later that afternoon, I'm out cleaning up in our, in our cul-de-sac where we lived. And a news station was there and they were interviewing. They came up and they asked me a question. They said, what was it like? And I was like, every goofball who's interviewed, interviewed after, sounded like, uh, sound like a freight train. <laughs> Watch on the news. Like, cool, way to go. That was your moment. And you totally blew it. But the point is, you just didn't know what to say. It was like so powerful. The only thing I know is like, like a freight train's coming through my house. And that's what the disciples, this thing was so amazing. It was like the sound of a violent wind. Now, why wind as a, as a, as a picture of the, of the Spirit? Because you can't see wind, but you can see what? The effects of the wind. So it is with the Holy Spirit. We know the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. We see the, and feel and know the results of that. And so this is power. Now, let, let, me, let me say something here. Some of you... Uh, some of you are going to like this. Some, some of you are like, ah, whatever. Pentecost originally was a celebration of Moses giving the children of Israel the law, right? What was the problem with that? They received the law. They just couldn't keep the law. Is that true? Is that true of you? I mean, we know the law, but it's just, it's just the, the keeping it that we have a hard time with. Pentecost is the coming of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you to keep what God has commanded you. Do you see that? Do you see why this is so significant? Three of you. Let's go to verse three then. And then this is gets, uh, this gets a little freaky, but let's, let's try to break it down. I hope today, here's would be a great hope. I hope today, like Acts chapter 2, for some of you have been a section you've read through, and you just read through it really fast and like, whoa, I'm going to read on. This, is, this just got weird. I hope today you would leave and say, man, that just makes sense. I, I see that like I've really never seen that before. That, I, that's, that's pretty powerful. I'm, I'm not afraid. I'm not, I'm not afraid of that. I, I'm in awe of that. Look at verse 3. They saw, this same group of 120, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, let's, let's break a few things down here for you. See, some of you are like, okay, yeah. Tongues of fire came to rest on each of them. Now, watch this. This is, verse 3 is an amazing passage. First of all, why fire? It, why, why, why the coming of the Holy Spirit is illustrated, or the best way to illustrate it, it was, it was like, like seeing, seeing fire. Because for the Jews... Fire represented the presence of God. When they were in the wilderness, do you remember some of you who grew up in Sunday school, you remember they're wandering in the, in the wilderness uh, there and Moses is trying to lead them and he led them, God led them at night by a pillar of what? Fire, right? Uh, even when oh, uh, Moses shows up at the burning bush, what's there? How does he know God's there? It's fire, but it, the, the bush is not consumed. And so this fire represents the presence of God. God is with us through the person of the Holy Spirit. And it says, it says this, it came to rest. Watch this. Don't miss this. This is so important. It came to rest on each of them. This is what's different than ever before in history of, of, of Christianity and history of, of Scripture and the biblical narrative. Let me say it that way. In the Old Testament, God dwelled uh, in the temple, and occasionally God would move on people, and God dwelled among the people of Israel. During the time of Jesus, God dwelled in the person of His Son, Christ. But in this age, at the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, watch it, God dwelled within his people, each and every one of them. Do you see how exciting this is? This isn't, this isn't freaky. This is saying that the, the, the fire came to rest on each and every one of them. And then this whole tongues of fire, you're about to see why that is significant, all right? Now, look at verse 4. All of them 
were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Here we go. All right. This is, this is really, really important. Now, I want to say this. This is, uh, for some of you, you, you may not be interested in this. But theologically, um, a lot of times when you study the book of Acts, Luke is, Luke is writing like a historian. He is telling you what happened. He is not prescribing this is what needs to happen in your life. He's telling us about Pentecost. A lot of people say, well, that's what we need. If we'd stay around in a room for 10 days and just pray and not move, and then, then, then God would do, do, do another, we'd have another Pentecost here. Well, we don't say that about Christmas, do we? I mean, Jesus came one time in Bethlehem at Christmas. Now, this is a one-time event in the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, God wants to do a great work through the Holy Spirit in and through us, all right? But he says, all of these were together, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Watch, I'm going to say this fast. When you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, when you put your faith and trust clearly in Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, immersed with the Holy Spirit. You receive all of the Holy Spirit the moment you turn from your sin and trust Christ as Savior and Lord. Okay? Now, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is a supernatural enabling that God gives us for a ministry that he's calling us to. That's what's happening here. You're about to see what they were called to do, all right? It was a supernatural enabling for what God called them to do. And so we have one baptism, we have one baptism, but there are multiple fillings. Why? Because I just say it this way, we leak. I do, right? You know, I need God, if, if I'm going to do, be used of any way of God, then I need to be filled. Now, what's happening here is they receive this baptism and this filling all at the, all at the same time. This is, this is unique, and that's what uh, we're, Luke is describing to us. Now, listen, it says in verse 5, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Let's ask a question. Why are there God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven in Jerusalem at this time? Help me. Because it's What? It's Pentecost. They're coming there to worship. I want you to see, I want you to see how strategic this is. Remember what we just looked at for the last couple of weeks? One of the last things Jesus says to his disciples is go and make disciples of what? All nations. This is starting to be fulfilled here at Pentecost. Do you see it? The nations have descended upon Jerusalem at Pentecost, and God is going to reveal the truth of the gospel to them. Now, here it is. Verse 6, when they, meaning this large crowd that has descended upon Jerusalem, not the 120, not the disciples and, and these first followers of Jesus that have received this filling of the Holy Spirit, when this large crowd heard this sound, right? They're in the streets, they're celebrating, and it sounds like a tornado hits over close to the temple, and so they start making their way there. Watch what happens. A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. This goes back to verse 3, what's happening with these tongues of fire. This is this filling of the Holy Spirit. God gave, now listen, I'm gonna, I may offend some of you. Some of you want to come up after the service and tell me how I don't understand the Holy Spirit. Tell me what you know about the Holy Spirit. Good for you. Here's what's happening here. This is not the disciples getting out and speaking just, sometimes people talk about having a prayer voice or ecstatic utterance. This isn't that. 
This is the disciples having a supernatural enabling of God to speak a foreign language. The Greek word here is dialecto. It's where we get our word dialect. They are speaking a dialect that these people who speak all types of different languages have descended and they can hear. In other words, these folks from all different parts of the world show up and they hear guys and gals preaching to them in their own native language. And they didn't know how to do it. This is, this is a miracle, isn't it? And this is this gift of, of tongues. Do you see that? This isn't weird, is it? I mean, it's amazing. But do you see how strategic it is so that they can hear the message and take it back? I'm teaching through Romans in another Bible study I'm, I'm, I'm leading. And there was a group of believers from Rome who were here that heard the gospel in their own language, and they took that back and started the first church at Rome. Now, look at verse 7. Utterly amazed, they ask, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? In other words, the people who heard this are like, these people that are speaking in my own language, they're, they're Galileans. Like, that's like saying, aren't these just a bunch of hillbillies? Because that's what Galilee was, right? That's just the hill country of Israel. These are backwoods people. Aren't these just a bunch of hicks who live up by the creek? How could they speak, and, 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 and how, do they, how do they know how do they know how to speak my language? How are, how are they so gifted? They haven't gone and been trained. How, how can they do that? This is how each of us, then, then how is it, look at verse 8, then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Isn't that a miracle? So the church is spreading. At Pentecost, God gives them a filling of the Holy Spirit, right, to speak the truth of the gospel in a language that the different people there could hear so they could take that back and share it with others. Now, let's look on down at verse 11. Verses 9 and 10 list 15 different people groups who were there in Jerusalem at Pentecost who heard the gospel in their own native language. Like if you spoke French and you're there, you heard the gospel, someone was speaking French and teaching, the, uh, teaching you the gospel in French. If you were to speak Spanish, you were there and there was someone speaking Spanish there that God had filled them with the Holy Spirit and allowed them to do that. Now, verse 11 just to, just to summarize, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, here it is, this is the message today, what does this mean? So all we're going to do today is we're going to see the two questions of Pentecost. Because when you look at Acts chapter 2, the people ask two specific questions. And today, what we're going to do for just a few minutes is we're going to try to answer the two questions of Pentecost. Because if you were there and you traveled from a great distance, you didn't speak the language, but now you, you have seen this movement and something supernatural has happened. This is what that professor at Yale, as, as, as Nick is, was talking about earlier, this is what he is saying. He's saying there had to be something that launched this movement we know as the church. There had to be some supernatural force that launched this movement and allowed the church to spread as rapidly as it did. Do you know what it was? Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming upon believers at Pentecost, people hearing the gospel in their own language and then taking it back to their people. Now, what does this mean? Take your notes out. Let's look at this for just a second. I didn't mean to be bossy there. I just don't have much time. What does this mean? Is that a good question? What does all this mean? Well, I'll tell you the first thing that it means. It's just a recap of what we looked at. Now the Holy Spirit indwells us. In the balcony, those of you watching online, if you have placed your trust in Christ as your Savior and Lord, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God dwells inside you, not around you, but within you. 
That's what happened at Pentecost. That's why this is such an exciting thing. And look, look back at verse 3. That's where you see it. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on, on who? Each of them. Now, Again, in the Old Testament, God dwells in the temple. In the time of Jesus, God dwells in the person of his son. But now in this age, God dwells within us. At Pentecost, alone ended. For some of you, I just, I just want you to know this today because you feel alone. It's a difficult season in your life. Can, can I just tell you something? At Pentecost, alone ended. The third person of the Trinity dwells inside of you. And that's a powerful, powerful truth. Over the course of these next few weeks as we study through Acts, we're going to begin to flesh that out. What does that mean that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of me? Now, let, let, let's look on. Let's look at to the, to the second thing that we really begin to see. What, what does this mean? Not only does the Holy Spirit indwell us, but look at your notes. Now the Holy Spirit empowers us. Verse 2, it sounds like... The blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven and it filled the whole house. In, in the margin of your Bible, you just might write power. This is what the Holy Spirit brought, power. Have you ever with your kids at the beach when they were little and they wanted to fly a kite because every other cool dad had a kite? They were flying a kite. I would just say, hey, this guy's already bought one. We'll just sit here in our chairs and watch him. He's doing a great job. <laughs> Like they bring a kite out and it's like this lifeless piece of plastic, right? And then all of a sudden it, it, it kind of goes up into the air and it just begins to soar, right? And you're sitting there watching that thing and it's moving and it's dancing around and it like comes to life. Why? Because the wind. Let me tell you something. That's what God wants to do in your life, in my life, through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what can happen. It's power in your life. Power to do what? Power to, listen church, power to start walking in victory. This is what blows me away about Pentecost. Pentecost was a celebration of the giving of the law. They couldn't keep the law. The Holy Spirit comes now in power, allowing us to begin to keep what God has commanded. Can I tell you something today? You may be here you're struggling with an addiction, your marriage is falling apart, you're overcome with fear, I don't know what it is. But let me tell you something, through the power of the Holy Spirit, if you could begin to incorporate and understand who you are in Christ and what you have through the power of this Holy Spirit, then listen, it can change the rules for you. And listen, this is what unleashed the church and this is what can unleash you. This is why we're doing this series. Is there even a sense for you, some of you today, some anticipation to know a little bit more of this power? Boy, it is for me. That's why, that's why I'm so excited. Let, let me tell you about one thing. Simon Peter, in just a few moments, we're going to finish up in Acts chapter 2, and Simon Peter's going to, he's going to preach the first sermon in the Christian church, and it's a good one. I mean, 3,000 people get saved. We'd say, solid. We had eight at our high school service. Deal with that, Pete. But let, let's go back some 50 days before he preaches this sermon. Jesus is arrested, remember? Anybody remembering Simon Peter? Simon Peter following him at a distance. There's a servant girl that says, hey, 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 I know you. You're with him. And Simon Peter, not once, not twice, but three times, does what? Denies he even knows him. Coward. What happened in 50-some-odd days that turned this coward into one of, this bold, one of the boldest proclaimers of truth ever. The Holy Spirit fell upon him and released him. Can I tell you something? Some of you, there's a chance for fears that have paralyzed you all your life. 
for fears that have paralyzed you all your life, that through a proper understanding of the power of the Holy Spirit, that you could begin to be set free. That those, you know what needs to happen with those fears? They need to be uprooted. Do you believe that? Listen, do you believe that? It's the power of the Holy Spirit that can uproot those fears and release you. Power to heal broken relationships. Are there broken relationships here? Sure there are. There's power in the Holy Spirit. Do you, do you see why this is so important? And do you see the tool of the enemy? If, if we look at this story and we just think, man, that's weird. I don't understand it. It keeps us from tapping into the power that's there available to us, right? I think the church has missed it because we've seen this as just weird. It's not weird. It's amazing. You see, and it is super, super practical, power to serve and share. You're like, you know what? I want to be used of God. Some of you are here, I want to be used of God, but I, I feel so incapable. Look at this group of 120, and Jesus says, hey, 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 guys, don't go anywhere or say anything. Stay put. Why did he tell them to do that? Because he knew if he went out there on their own, what would happen? Nothing. Because they didn't have anything that could do anything. You said, wait till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then as you're filled with the Holy Spirit, I'll use you. That can happen in your life. Do you believe that? That you could be, can, can, I, can I just cast a vision for some of you here? Through an understanding of the power of the Holy Spirit and how God wants to fill you as a believer with a supernatural enabling that you could be poised for the greatest season of ministry ever in your life. Do you believe it? It can happen. I promise you that. Now, let's get back to this message. We have eight minutes, and I, I want to look at Simon Peter's message because we, we answered our, our attempt to answer the first question, what does this mean? The Holy Spirit indwells us, and the Holy Spirit empower, empowers us. That's what this means. Now, now look, look on down at uh, verse 13. The people say, some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much, too much wine. In other words, some of the skeptics in the crowd said, this isn't real. these guys are just drunk. That's what's going on. Interesting here that you see uh, the culture equating people filled with the Holy Spirit with people that are intoxicated. That's interesting. In fact, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul will do the same thing. Because the Holy Spirit begins to, when, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, he takes over us. He begins to influence us. He changes us. As alcohol, we can be under the influence of alcohol and it changes, changes us. He's saying you can be under the Holy Spirit and that will change you, right? Now, they said these people, they're just drunk. They've had too much, too much to, to drink. That's why they're acting this way. Then Peter stood up with the 11 and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen to carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I had some uncles that this didn't relate to, but anyways, I mean, you, you have fraternity brothers that, right, but any, not, we were not going to that. He said, they're not, they're not drunk. It's just nine in the morning. It's a, it's a Jewish religious holiday for crying out loud. There's something going on. And then Peter launches into his first message. Now, now watch this, verse 16. I want to hit the highlights here. Now, this is what is spoken by the prophet Joel. In other words, he said, what you are seeing happening here, God already told you it was going to happen. This isn't, this isn't new. Hundreds of years ago, the prophet Joel, under the inspiration of this Holy Spirit, told you about the day that this was coming, right? So God, this is, this is prophecy that's being, he said this is prophecy that's being fulfilled right in front of your eyes. And then here, he, he, he quotes Joel chapter 2. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. That's what they were seeing in the street. You got 120 men and women that are telling the truth of Jesus Christ in a language that other people could hear. 
Joel's prophecies come true. Is that pretty cool? He goes on and he begins to preach. Let me summarize Simon Peter's message, right, just for lack of time. Simon Peter's message, he said this. He said, let me get get your attention. He says, here's what you need to know. Jesus Christ was a long-awaited Messiah. Here's how I know he was the Messiah because the miracles that he performed. Here's how I know he was a Messiah. He was in the grave and he is resurrected. If he's still in the grave, why doesn't somebody just leave here and go show me his grave? You can't because he's not there. And some of you have seen him resurrected. And and here's how I know he was the Messiah, because I saw him literally ascend into heaven. And then he went on to say, and you, by your ignorance and your rebellion, you killed God. That's quite a message, right? Listen to how he closes this message. Are you with me? And we're going to see the second question of Pentecost. Verse 36, Acts chapter 2, verse 36. I just summarized and we skipped ahead. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. This is Simon Peter, the coward turned courageous preacher through the power of the Holy Spirit. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Look at verse 37. I love this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? This is amazing. Here he is preaching, and the people said, stop. Let me interrupt you. What do we need to do? I mean, that, that, that's like us having a worship service where you're sitting here today, and, and, and people standing up all over and say, hey, sit down. Be quiet. We're in. Whatever we need to do, we'll do. The Scripture says they were cut to the heart. Let me tell you the third thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will convict and convince. It wasn't Peter's message that convicted and convinced these folks, it was the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something that's a hard thing to say. I talk about Jesus for a living. Week after week, I stand before you. I'm a professional Jesus talker. That's what I do for a living. Sometimes people pay me money to go to other places and talk about Jesus. I have written about Jesus for people to read. That's what I do. But listen, Here's the hard truth. There have been many people in my life that I have not been able to convince. (laughs) To be honest with you, I haven't been able to convince anybody. But it is the power of the Holy Spirit that will convict and convince. Do you have somebody in your life today? I read Francis Chan this week. He was talking about this. If you know who Francis Chan is, maybe one of the greatest communicators of the gospel that we have today. He said, my teenage daughter, so, she was so rebellious. And, and he said, I'm traveling all over the world preaching and teaching the gospel, but my daughter does not believe. She would not believe. She was walking in rebellion. And he said, I just began to pray. My wife and I just began to pray, Holy Spirit, would you convict her? Would you convince her? And over time, the Holy Spirit moved on her. And he begins to tell a story of how she came to faith in Christ. It was a work of the Holy Spirit. And for those people in your life that you thought, you know what, there's never a chance it cannot happen. The work of the Holy Spirit, God can do that. For some of you today, God may be doing this today in your life. Here's what it says. Look at what the scripture says. The people were cut to the heart. What does that mean? Two things. It means they realized they were wrong. And second, they realized they were responsible. You want to write that down? They realized they were wrong. Wrong about what? They were wrong about Jesus. They were the crowd that just 50 some odd days before, it's time to go, I know, but please listen, give me three minutes. Can you do it? This is the crowd that said, crucify him, crucify him. And they were cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit revealed to them that they were wrong about Jesus. They saw him as a threat. He wasn't going to come and meet their political aspirations. So they wanted him out and they were cut to the heart. I have been wrong about Jesus in my life. Some of you today 
all your life you've been wrong about him. And it's not the same, not, not, not the kind of wrong maybe what the Jews were, but, it, but it's just as, just as bad. Here's the wrong about Jesus that, that, that so many in the South believe today. Well, Jesus is a part of my life. And if I need him, I'll go to him. Can I tell you something that's wrong? Jesus didn't come to be a part of your life. He is your life. He's the long-awaited king. He's Savior and he's Lord. Well, somebody said, well, you know what? Well, I, I break his commands. That's wrong. You don't break his commands. When you understand who he is, you realize you've broken his heart. Do you understand the difference? And for some of us all of our life, we've been wrong about him. And it's the Holy Spirit who reveals truth that understands that this is the long-awaited king. So we're wrong about him. And number two, we're responsible. That's what happened that day at Pentecost. Here's a group of people that it dawned on them. Oh, my gosh. It was my sin that sent him to the cross. When I was in high school, I had this coach. You ever watched a baseball coach give signs? They're like ninjas. They move 90 miles an hour. Every game he would change the signs up, so we'd have a meeting before the game, and he would go over the signs. These are the signs for the game. You had to lock in. And then here's what he would do. If you missed a sign, the next day he kept a list. He'd call your name. Cooper, come on down. He'd be real nice. Come on down. we got a chair for you. Sit right here. You comfortable? You want something to drink? Have a seat right here. And then he'd tell the team. In the third inning, I gave him the bunt sign. He didn't bunt. He swung. He hit into a double play. We lost. He's a loser. He didn't say that. That's what I felt like. He said he missed a sign. So guess what? He's not going to run. He's going to sit right here. You guys are going to run. You ever had that happen? You're sitting there while your teammates are running for a mistake that you made. It's the worst. They sprint. He blows a whistle. They sprint. Come back from the foul pole. They run back. He's yelling, screaming for them to run. Line up. Go again. And by about the fourth time, they're looking at you, and if they could kill you, they would. And you'd let them because you're thinking, that's on me. Can I tell you something? Here's where it all turns. Sooner or later, for you, you got to realize you're responsible. I sent him to the cross. My sin sent him to the cross. And it cut me to the heart. Has that ever happened for you? Have you ever understood? Have you ever been cut to the heart to realize you were wrong about him? What you believed about him wasn't wasn't right, and you are responsible. His death was on you. And then they said this, what do we do? What do we do? Maybe that's you today. What do we do? And Simon Peter was pretty clear. He says, repent. That's like getting out on 24 today, headed toward Manchester. Are you with me? You're driving east on I-24. And listen, you get off, you hit an exit, you turn around and you head in a whole new direction. Everything you believed about him was wrong. You were living for your, yourself and what you wanted to do. It was all about you. You thought you could achieve something from God. You thought you had this, and then you realize one day, no. I don't have any of this. I have no hope. I'm helpless, and I'm not calling the shots any longer. I repent. That's a, turn, that's a turnaround, right? It's a change of mind that leads to a change of direction about Jesus Christ. And then he says, and be baptized for the forgiveness of sin, or it can be translated as a sign of your forgiveness. Maybe that's you today. You know what? 
for the first time in my life, I'm cut to the heart. I have been wrong about Jesus. I've been one of those guys that always made him a part of my life. He didn't come to be a part of my life. He came to give me life. He came to be my king. And I've always came to Jesus hoping that he would make me a better person. Today I'm coming to him realizing, Jesus, I've been an enemy and I lay down my arms and surrender. Can I tell you something today? You've either done that or you haven't. Right? Right? You've either done that or you haven't. And Simon Peter says, as a sign of that, be baptized. Be unashamed that Jesus is your king. Show that you are dead to living for yourself and you're alive to newness. You've trusted in Christ and Christ alone for your complete cleansing. And on that day, 3,000 of them did that. They were wrong, and they realized they were responsible, responsible, but they repented. And that day were healed through the power of the Holy Spirit. That day can be your day. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you that you're up to something here today. Thank you for many of us here as believers that we are excited, we are encouraged about the power we have in the Holy Spirit for others here today that your Holy Spirit has cut them to the heart and for the first time they realize they're wrong and they're responsible. And Father, would you do what only your Holy Spirit can do? Would you lead them to the Son and liberate them from their sin? Grant them the courage to respond in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlife.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.